Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 42 of DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my pocket dealer, Ben Bumhopper. Well, hello there. You know, I'm really glad that you have me as your pocket dealer, because as a sorcerer, you tend to get pretty, uh, you know, pretty beat up now and then. It's true. Um, I feel like we're missing something, though. It's almost like, you know, the two of us, with what we do might not be ideal, but uh, I guess for the show, that's pretty good though. I think the two of us, we do an okay job. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we have guests on like, like B Dave and he can take yeah. for us. Yeah, exactly. So see, that's a perfect way to round this out and totally hint at what we might be talking about soon. But before we get there <laughs> though, Ryan, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing great. Uh, I just, I'm coming off of a, a week off work so that's been that's been nice i've been able to get some good family time in get a good. little bit of rest in get a little D planning in as uh there's some big stuff coming up in both the campaigns i run <laughs> so lots of fun stuff but we'll talk about that in a little bit what we are going to talk about though uh as you alluded to is uh our first topic of the night which is encounter balancing by party type and so this is a little different than what we've talked about before. We, we did a whole episode on just encounter balancing by like monster, like CR, mm-hmm. that type of thing. We're going to talk a little bit tonight about encounter balancing by party type. And this is, this is a very, um, it's a very interesting topic because it's going to be very situational to your specific table as a DM exactly, um, and your, your specific party. And most likely it will change over time where one campaign you run uh, may have one issue or is well-rounded. Another campaign you run may have a different issue or is, is well-rounded. So um, the whole kind of baseline thing for this is how do I plan encounters but make it but tweak it to where it's not unfair to the party just because of what their composition is but then at the same time not make it seem like i'm pulling punches or i'm having to do things a certain way just because it's an all wizard (laughs) party or something (laughs) something like that um because part of this part of this is on the players to figure out their compositions and take the tools within their specific class types to try and, you know, cover for any inadequacies they might have from a, from a role perspective. But you have the, I mean, there's the, the, the tank, no tank. Like, what do you do (laughs) if there's no tank? There's the, uh, big one, heels or no heels. Some parties uh, that ha- I, I've run with have so much healing. Like, <laughs> like my, my first campaign I run, I think four of the five of them can heal in some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. Uh, and then there's the, the different damage types. Uh, do you, are you really melee heavy? Are you ranged heavy? Are you, you know support heavy in some ways so ben what do you what's what's kind of your take on the whole counterbalancing by party type well this is where it's really good to be creative and also very flexible 
because you know you don't want to have that situation where it's like okay cool um we're a level two party uh we are all monks and no one can heal and uh we're going up against you know maybe the the level two big bad who dishes out a bunch of damage and maybe you know they they're not able to pop up their patient defense because they're out of key because they're only level two and you just beat the crap out of one right away i mean you know, something that you can do in a situation like that is, you know, of course, dial it back, you know, maybe tune it a little bit so that it's a little bit more even. Um, you can always have the big bad evil guy mock them and run away. I mean, you have a little different things like that. But here's the thing. When it comes to just a, a campaign overall, that's when you really have a lot to kind of adjust. So it's not really constantly on the fly. Now, like uh, Ryan alluded to, it, it, part of it is kind of up to the the players themselves to you know try to fill in roles because I think that we've all either have been in a group or have run a group where you know at least one or two people say, well, what don't you have? I will fill that role, and you know that's one of the great things about all the different subclasses that have come out is that almost every class has some version of one of those you know holy trinity roles yeah so fill that role exactly it's which is really good i mean the fact that warlock has like a you know kind of a a a healing spec now is a little weird but hey you know what it works i like it it's cool um but if you don't have one of those and you end up just having it be a completely blind role of everybody saying okay i want to do this i want to do this i want to do this then you might want to start taking a look at, okay, should I run a campaign or should I make it uh, more of a homebrew thing so that I can account for some of those deficiencies? Like, uh, you know, you, you said it right there, a whole party of healers, or not healers, of wizards. Yeah, that's going to be a little tough, but you can start twisting your plans and changing the world into a very magical world where there's not a lot of martial class. You know, maybe um, even the paladins are more spell casting than, you know, swinging a sword around. And it makes sense that this group of wizards would be together adventuring together because it's a very magic enriched world. Um, when it comes to heals or no heals, I mean, obviously making, uh, you know, potions very readily available is a good thing, um, especially on uh you know like downed enemies just have them find potions all the time you know it, it'll help don't flood it but you know have yeah. them have them available and to just kind of jump into that that particular point before you go on that's mm -hmm. another great time if you don't normally to implement a homebrew rule like allowing self drink drinking of potions as a bonus action mm -hmm. To, to help that be free flow a little more and not having to waste quote unquote your, your whole turn drinking a potion. So that's exactly. that, that type of thing is especially when there's no healers and you're more potion focused. Uh, that's something to consider as well. Mm -hmm. And even more so on top of that, maybe, you know, you've talked to your players and it's more of a, and, and this is going to sound really weird, but a game with no healers is usually like, you know, either big damage dealers or tanks. And if you go along with something like that, maybe it's going to be more of a, a, an RP heavy type of gameplay than a, a very big combat one. So there's 
also possibilities of kind of switching up how the gameplay would actually work with that. Um, last but not least, I mean, heck, if you don't have a damage dealer, you don't have any players because everybody can deal damage in some way. But the types of damage and, and the really like big hits, those are where you kind of start having to look at, okay, we're level 10, but I've got a monk who is, you know, very dependent on patient defense as opposed to a flurry of blows. So they're not really pushing out a lot of damage that way. Or I have a paladin who is my healer who's not using um, the spell slots for smite or, or something along those lines. And in an instance like that, you kind of have to identify what exactly is going on to, you know, kind of hold back some of those more damaging abilities. You know, is it that you're attacking way too hard and way too fast so that, you know, the monk thinks that they literally need to dodge every single turn in order to survive? Or is it just a player who is being, you know, very protective of themselves over something that they're doing? Or uh, the best example that I think I've even pulled up before are they playing Resident Evil and they have a Magnum and Magnum bullets knowing that they're so rare, they're never going to use them because they don't know the best time to. And if something like that comes up, then the best pos- or the best uh, root, of a- root of action, path of action, I don't know what the phrase is right now, but I'm saying it anyway. Um, <laughs> the best way to kind of deal with that is, you know, talk to your players and, you know, again, have that open communication, let them know it's like, hey, you have these abilities, you have these things that you can use, Um, you know, tap into it, do something different, you know, try something out. I'm not going to punish you for using your abilities. Um, I think one of the topics or points that you you brought up is is really good because uh, there's there's a huge difference between modules and homebrew, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to this, because it, it feels like to me uh, of the of the few modules that I have played and the few more that I have read some of is they are very much based around you having a little more of a, you know, quote unquote traditional setup where you have somebody who can frontline, you have some damage dealers mm-hmm. and you have somebody who can throw some heals. Um, that's and it makes sense that's that's the kind of traditional party that if you're going to be generalistic for a module or something like that that you'd want to kind of plan for mm-hmm. um so just be aware of that if you're running a module with a non-traditional party makeup uh that you may have to do some tweaking to the modules encounters to either make it uh fair or not, uh, or even overpowered or underpowered. Like mm-hmm. there, there might be uh, a non-traditional makeup that will just completely breeze through every single one of these like module encounters. Or you may have this makeup that the module encounters are extremely punishing for. So just kind of a lot of it, and it, we've, we've talked about this before, is just getting to know your party, getting to know their, their strengths and weaknesses and their capabilities. But it's, it's one of those things, especially if you're running a module, to watch since those are pre-done for you and you will have to make changes to their stuff versus making stuff tailored to your party. And that is that you don't have to tailor every single fight to your party makeup 
part of the challenge can be throwing a non-traditional encounter at them that they might be ill-prepared for, like some like big beefy HP pools that you throw at your party of wizards or -hmm. whatnot. And they can get up in their face and they have to think on their feet or they have to, you know, do, do creative things, figure that out. You probably don't want to make that the norm um, because those are going to be the more like deadly type encounters, but it's, it's good to, to challenge every once in a while. Um, one like, thing you can, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, just, um, speaking of, uh, just, you know, using modules, can you imagine doing the horde of the dragon queen and you know, that one-on-one duel that, that happens like kind of early on. Can you imagine that with the whole group of wizards? Yeah. Like, you, you need to tweak much, that. <laughs> you pretty much die unless, unless you had the, the person go, ha ha, I have vanquished you. Now I will leave you on the ground because you are a pitiful wizard. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, like you know, uh, hopefully they have the shield spell to raise their AC a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, look at something, you know, something like that. Like, think, I think that's a really prime example of if you don't have a specific tank, then work around it kind of you know play play with it see what you can do maybe change it to a magical duel and create a different version of that character or or, you know something along those lines exactly exactly and and you can you can go listen to to the episode on homebrew rules but it may depending on party makeup uh certain homebrew rules may be more applicable than than at other times that mm-hmm. where you you may not need them again like i i personally like to use the potion as bonus action for yourself same just across the board because i i feel like it flows better and it it doesn't you know waste the player turn to do it but i, I know a lot of people don't necessarily run that as a norm but for a party without any healers that might be a little more you know higher up on the the list to maybe consider uh than than it would be otherwise or uh one other way you can kind of cover deficiencies uh or lack of um roles in some parties is through npcs now you don't want the npc all the time you don't want them to become dependent on it but especially if they're going into a situation and this is especially true in modules uh, that you know their party makeup is going to struggle, you can attach or have a trusted NPC go with them that just so happens to be able to fi- fulfill the role of tank or the role of healer. Uh, and can you, you never want your NPCs to outshine no. your players. But... There is great use in NPCs as supporting roles. And so when you can have an NPC, if, if needed, cover uh, a place where the party is lacking, that can be really helpful for specific fights or specific instances. Exactly. Um, recently, I had a, uh, an encounter that I had a, a wizard go with, the, with them. Um, it it made sense story-wise. I didn't really do it as total, you know, um, you know, filling a hole for the most part. I did it to actually make sure that the group saved some spell slots because I knew what was coming up, you know, further ahead. So it filled that role and, you know, not having them blow all those really awesome cooldowns like right away. 
Um, in other instances, I've heard many a video on YouTube about RPG horror stories of the DMPC being the one who always just rides in and saves everybody and then, you know, rides off or, or takes all the treasure because they're the one who did it and rides off. And I mean, that's definitely not the way to play it. Like Ryan was saying. And I mean, if you're adding someone in there, make sure that they're not the ones who are leading the charge. I mean, they can lead the charge physically like in the attack, but they're not the one who's deciding what the party is going to be doing. They're not the ones who are figuring out all the puzzles and they're definitely never, ever like way higher party or higher level than the party itself. You don't want to bring a level 10 in with a bunch of level threes who are running around doing stuff and they just wipe the floor with everybody. Um, the only reason you would really ever do that is mainly to prove some sort of point. Yes. And, 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 the, and that where it's story specific, mm -hmm. uh, like a time where you go, look, there are a lot more powerful people than you in this world. And like, here's a taste or something, or you see that type of thing happening in the background or mm -hmm. during social interactions with, with a friendly or whatever, they just do things that are really <laughs> powerful or cool, just, you know, flippantly or offhandedly. And so there, there's, there are there's a time and a place for that type of thing, but not normal. Yeah, not, not normally not escorting through the whole adventure. Exactly, and definitely not in in a battle that will severely diminish the player's capability. Mm -hmm. Exactly, um, and and one of the big things too is that um, some people view DMPCs as, "Hey, I get to play too." you are kind of forgetting that the DM always plays always. You are going to constantly be doing everything in this game. You don't need to throw in a player character unless you are filling a hole for a specific reason. So, I mean, I know that there are some parties out there who have a DM PC who probably works great for them and you found a good balance and I'm happy for you. I personally like to see my character shine as much as I possibly can uh, to the point where like, I feel bad if I have a player with or a, a, you know, a PC with them and I roll really well. Like I feel bad about that. Cause it's like, they're not supposed to get a, how can you do this? They're not supposed to get, you know, all the glory of everything that's going on because that's what the players are there for. And as a good DM, you have some control in that area as well there exactly. are definitely npcs that i enjoy getting to play that whenever mm -hmm. they come up i go "Ooh, i gotta play this <laughs> this person again or you know or this creature again or, or whatever but yeah no it's like you said there i'm sure there are there are good positive examples of it working mm -hmm. um but that's probably not going to be the norm yeah. So just, just be watch, watch out for that. And then the other, the, the last point I really wanted to hit on is um, number of party members. And so this, this kind of goes back a little bit as well to just encounter balancing in general. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where if you have an abundance of tanks or an abundance of healers, you know, or 
one little tank and a ton of damage dealers. <laughs> a lot of that can then kind of shift how you uh, plan your encounters out and how you balance your encounters out. If you've got a ton of healers, you may go for lesser HP, higher damage encounter types that are just boom, boom, give everybody lots of stuff to do type thing. If you've got a ton of damaging people who can just wipe the floor with those type of things, go for a more streamlined damage, but higher HP pools. So it's not just instantly over and it's not a, not a big deal. Um, and again, this this kind of goes back to the same thing. It's the uh, how many encounters a day, how hard are they? Like, do you let your the party long rest between every single encounter? Because if they do, they're going to be able to, you know, go nuclear on every single encounter because it, it's not going to be a big deal. So, uh, figuring out ways to drain resources, figuring out ways to do multi-tiered battles, figuring out ways to do multiple encounters a day can also make mix things up and make things interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. Cool. Um, so it, it, it's kind of funny. So we're going to kind of shift a little bit. And speaking of roles. Oh, like dice. I see what you're talking about here. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about player roles, not oh. the dice, not the dice kind, but the, uh, what can you do kind. And so I, I, I we may have touched on it a, a little bit before. Um, this is, this is something that players can do to help out their DM, mm -hmm. uh, and really to help out their party in general. And, you by no means have to split up responsibilities into these categories. There may be multiple people that do some or all of these, and it's, it's not a big deal. But if you want to have a more structured approach, we are going to talk a little bit about that. So what um, I kind of was just thinking through some of the, some of the things uh, that players could keep track of or players could kind of own within their, their games, um, tracking initiative. Mm -hmm. If your, if your DM doesn't have a really good way to show initiative or track initiative, uh, be the player that writes it down and then reminds people as their turn is coming up after that, after that first round finishes and goes, goes back to the beginning. Um, be the, the note taker, that is not just taking notes for for your character but if if you if that's something you enjoy just keeping your ear out and making notes for for the whole session um the keeper of the the keeper of coin uh <laughs> the, the person who keeps the the party funds um uh, the item keeper you're the one with the bag of holding <laughs> and so you make sure to note all the stuff that goes into the bag of holding and as people just throw stuff, stuff at you. And so there's, there's a lot of those like out of game type roles that you can do. And again, it's not something you have to do. And it's something that some groups probably just fall into naturally. But if it's something that you want to talk about within your, 
particular player group, uh, those are some of the big ones. Did you yeah. did you have any that I missed, Ben? Is there anything well, anything big? I definitely want to throw out there that there's always someone in school who does not want to be the note taker and there's always someone who totally wants to and loves it and has the best handwriting is is and wants to do that so if this is something that you know your party wants to do definitely take advantage of it Uh, in fact in one of my games we have a specific note taker and you know she asked you know do you mind if i uh take notes for you know for the party and there there's a set of party notes that kind of details things that are going on and i love it um, although I did say, do you mind if I take my own? Because, you know, a- as my own character and stuff, I want to make sure I know what my experiences are. And of course she's like, no, of course, go for, go for it. And, and, you know, worked out really well that way. Um, I mean, other than, you know, if you have a bag of holding, keep track of what's in there. That's really handy. Um, money keeper. I mean, th- that's the thing too, is if you have a party fund, I mean, uh, the group that I DM for, everybody just splits it all up. Uh, but, you know, they do share and, and uh, you know, provide if like someone's missing, like, oh, I just need another 50 gold. It's like, oh, well, I can lend you that. Like, they're doing that. There's no actual like party fund, which works too. I mean, it, it all depends on however your group kind of gels together. And I mean, for the most part, I think you kind of nailed a lot of the different things that the, the, the party can do outside of the game. Yeah, it, it well, it is really funny too because I don't think any of the groups that I've been a part of or DM'd have had a party fund. Yeah, yet. <laughs> which is funny because like I remember watching the original Critical Role season, the first season, mm-hmm. and that was um, Vex. Vex basically had they had a party fund. Mm-hmm. And so anytime they bought something, they just kind of looked at her and were just like, and she was like, yeah, we can, we can pay that. <laughs> we can pay that. Or mm, we're going to haggle for that one. Exactly. Or I don't know, guy <laughs> type thing. So, so I kind of, it was funny because that was one of my first uh, exposures to D and D and I was just like, Oh yeah. Party fun. That, that makes sense. You just kind of yeah, like buying pool, potions and stuff. Yeah. Pull everything. And, and not a single game that I have DM or played has done, <laughs> done that model, which is, which is kind of funny, but um, you know, to each their own, you don't have to do that. Yeah, but exactly. that if you, if you do plan on doing that, it, it is nice to have someone who can keep track of that. The and one, I mean, that being said, it's also really good that in that first campaign, Grog was the item keeper. Cause he had yeah. the bag of holding. Yeah. He had the bag had of holding. So he wrote much everything stuff in there. down. Yeah, he wrote absolutely like, everything down. Like troll pieces were just in the bag of holding from like before the show even started. Oh, yeah. And he would just pull out some random stuff or just be like looking through and go, oh, we've got this or this or that. And so, yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, yeah, the best was when he pulled out like uh, <laughs> two cases of wine that had just been in there for years. Yeah, for forever. It's just like, let's drink this. Yeah, like fancy robes, like just random, random yeah. stuff. <laughs> you know, I did forget one. Oh, yeah? And this, is, this is very important. Uh, and it really only applies if you do in-person, in-person games. Okay. The, the snack bringer. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's it, like if you do, because I've done a lot of like in-person games, not for the last year. Soon, hopefully, crossing Good my luck. fingers. Yes, but uh, but the the snack bringer uh, this can be a responsibility that rotates, mm-hmm. or that you split up and everyone just kind of chips in 
a little bit. Uh, this can be super helpful, and it's one thing that the players can do for the DM. You don't – the DM is doing so much for, for, for you from a party standpoint, most likely doing the scheduling, most likely, you know – Running doing, the game. Running the game, putting out all the, this extra work in and stuff. Like – when you're in per- doing in-person, like snacks and drinks is something that you can take off the plate and the players can kind of pitch in for and just kind of provide, mm-hmm. whether like on a rotating basis, like everybody, if you do a weekly game, everyone just takes one week or bi-weekly or monthly, you know, everyone just takes one month or whatever, or everyone can just do a little bit yeah. every time. And so that's that's what my... Uh, in-person groups usually did is everyone just brought a little something every time so yep there's uh the in-person group that i was in the the star was one a while ago i was always the drink bringer so every single time i'd uh, stop by the store beforehand and pick up like a 12 pack of something 12 pack of something else and you know just uh, get a couple options and uh always left a ton of drinks there <laughs> but you know what that's part of it because, useful for next time yeah exactly Exactly. So yeah, no, that is very, very good. Um, There's other roles that we can talk about though, which I think are also very important. And it, a lot of this has to do with actually kind of discussion with uh, things that people are comfortable with. Same with the out of game stuff. And uh, that is just the, the actual in-game roles that the party will. And normally it just kind of uh, just falls to people naturally as the game progresses, as people kind of learn more about their own characters and others. But uh, I mean, Ryan, do you want to talk about some of those roles and uh, you know, how they could evolve or, you know, potentials for um, who might fill in? Sure. Fill in? Fill in? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like, like you said, uh, a lot of times these things just kind of either, happen organically or they happen somewhat metagamey based on people's stats mm-hmm. right um so you have like the leader the the person who will put their foot down if a decision can't be made and say we're going to do this mm-hmm. um there's not always a leader like and if, that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay. If your D&D party lacks that person who's just who breaks the ties or you know whatever, that's fine. There are some groups that operate just fine without one, but there is uh a lot of times one person will in some ways naturally emerge or one character will naturally emerge as that. Mm-hmm. Uh then you have the talker, the person that everyone looks to to talk their way out of the situation or, or try to sweet talk uh, the NPC or whatever. And um, that could be potentially multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's a, can sometimes be a little metagamey uh, based on, on stats where people are just like, okay, who's got the best persuasion. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, don't always look at that because that might not be in game what the character stuff goes for. You may have a character that stat wise does not have the highest persuasion or the highest deception in the group, Mm -hmm. but story wise or character wise, they, they, 
do right they especially in and certain given situations as yeah, well they think very highly of themselves or they think uh they're very uh persuasive or they think mm-hmm. they're very deceptive or that's just how they play even though even though they aren't necessarily or they may be in a situation i think kind of like you were you were talking about where they have an edge because they're nobility Mm-hmm. And you're talking to nobility, whereas the normal talker is not the the noble type. And so you have to take that into account as well. And DMs, make sure you take those things into account as well. So it's not always just a straight numbers game where you go, this is the, this is the person who's got the highest persuasion. So they're always going to do the talking because that doesn't necessarily have to be like that. And so make sure that situationally you reward those types of things for not going that way by, by giving advantage, by giving uh, a hidden bonus or lowering the DC Mm -hmm. or something for, for whatever thing they're doing versus someone who might have a higher role plus amount but is not necessarily suited for the situation. Yeah. I've got perfect example too in, in the, in my game, uh, the cleric, noble background, uh, you know, has, you know, definitely come into his own as a leader type. But the bard who most likely has a higher charisma, I mean, without the stats in front of me, I'm just guessing because, you know, bard. Um, she's she's a Goliath who is very uncouth. You don't want her brokering deals with the nobility in a town. You know, who would be the best person to kind of do this? the other noble it, it it totally fits and in those situations she actually knows to back off and not do it because you know past experience for her character that nobles don't tend to like her a ton you know it, it it fits really well and they're playing their characters out in a way that that fits extremely well with how you know the the setup is and I mean, I'll say this till the the end of days. I got the best group in the world. I'm sorry, Ryan. I do. Um, but fight you. Be, okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, but because they're, Royale, both yeah, groups. that oh, that'd be kind really fun. fun. Yeah. Um, but be, because you know they're able to do that, and everybody kind of fills their own different roles like really well, but can adjust on the fly. It, it adds a lot to the story that that we're all you know uh, telling together and you know, stuff like that works out really well. Um, you know, a, aside from, you know, the most persuasive speaker, which, which by the way, um, I don't ever try to be that in plus five to hit now that I'm a bard, but in some instances, the character's so full of himself that he jumps right in. But that's the thing. If you're in that position or you kind of put yourself in there a lot, like Ryan was saying, it doesn't always have to be you. Make sure that you are sitting there listening to other people you know that is the most important thing you never want to railroad over someone else you never want to take agency away from someone else by just jumping in and being the star of the game because that's not the way to play it well and i think that kind of goes off uh and couples well with let people play their characters Mm -hmm. right it's you may have researched a lot of stuff. You may know a lot of stuff. You may be looking at other people's character sheets or looking like at their stats all the time and going, this person should do this. This person should do that. 
back off that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they, let people play their characters as a, as a DM that, that honestly, I think just looking into the game makes the game a little less fun mm-hmm. because it takes some of the agency away. One, it takes some of the agency away from the other players. Um, two, it can spoil some um, organic play that might happen otherwise. Yeah. Uh, just based on the situation uh, and based on what people are saying or what people are doing. Um, and everyone's got their own thing to focus on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's much better. And I think, and you, you will metagame less, whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, you will metagame less if you are mainly focusing on your character and letting the other characters do their thing. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I mean, you, you don't need to say, um, Hey, barbarian bash down this door. You don't want to do that. If the barbarian wants to bash down the door, great. But you know what? If you see challenge door, what can my character do about that? You know, look at it in that perspective as opposed to, you know, best way I can put it. This isn't a Final Fantasy game where you control five different people. This is an MMO where you control yourself. Yeah. No, I I love that. I I, want to latch on to that piece. In every given situation, think not what everybody else's character can do, but what particular thing or things can my character do in this situation? And sometimes it's going to be nothing. Yeah. And that's fine. But then let those other players who might have something organically go through and think, hmm, what can my character do? Because if you're constantly trying to play other people's characters or constantly making suggestions or whatever, that's actually taking away from the other people learning Mm -hmm. because they will never learn to fully use or play their characters unless they're in there looking through and figuring out what they can do versus you should just do this. You should just do this. You should just do this type thing because that overall that is going to make uh, for much better character growth and much better player growth over time and lead to much more interesting, more fun and sometimes less optimized gameplay scenarios but you know that's not a bad thing that's not a exactly (laughs) that's where you have some of the most fun in DD is when you are doing the non-optimized scenario because then that blows open the box for creative thinking Mm -hmm. exactly whereas whereas if you're doing everything you know by the book or like strength to strength to strength to strength or even pointing out you, you're strong, you're best at this, do this, you're best at this, do this, then you're going to lose a lot of the organic, fun, interesting, creative situations that would normally arise when everyone is looking at, like you said, at their character and going, what would my character do in this situation? 
and then come up with that list. And the, the answer is nothing. Step back and watch and listen what the other players do. Yeah. I mean, and I want to latch on to <laughs> that's when the creativity comes out of the box. Cause seriously, that is when the most creative things happen. And I'm not even talking about barbarian break down the door. I'm talking about wizard casting reduce on the door so that it uh, shrinks down and just falls over, you know, that who knew, you know, I'm, okay. So the spell might say creature. So depending on what your DM says, that might not work, but something I just, you know, came up with right away. No, it's, it's one of those things where even if it didn't say that as a DM, I'd be I like, totally do it. That's super cool. <laughs> hundred percent that works you yeah, know exactly because that's and, a, a creative solution to a problem and it may mm-hmm. not work on every door right this door is magically enchanted it's not going to reduce yeah mundane door yeah cool you just found a new way to get into doors and bypass mundane locks or something mm-hmm. like that yeah exactly and you know i love the idea of you know pushing spells or abilities or something to the limits of creativity now granted if you ask my players yes i have probably said no to things but i always try to throw a butt in there as well so that we can either somehow meet in the middle or make it work in some form unless it's just like way out there where it's like i want yeah, there are, yeah there are times <laughs> you have to say no there are I want my to light say, spell to, to, to be a supernova that blows open the stores. Like, no, that doesn't no, work that no, way. No, but a lot of times as a DM, we, and we've talked about this. Yes. Yes. And yes, but no, mm-hmm. no, no. And no, but, mm-hmm. and then you have no, which you want to try and tread away from just a straight. No, as if you can, as you can. You're not always going to be able to, and that's fine. There are going to be situations where a no is completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the less straight no's you have, the more creativity and ingenuity you will foster. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so other than apparently opening doors and being a leader, um, there's also, <laughs> you know, like, like the muscle. We kind of went off onto a, a whole yeah. side topic, didn't we? Yeah, which by the way, side topic counts with the rest of these things too. <laughs> but um, like the muscle in the group. I, I, for one, love being a weakling and offering my muscle because it is never not funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it that much better when it actually succeeds mm-hmm. because then DM you have to go, okay, how does this work with this? And no, <laughs> but you can come up that again, that's a great exercise in DM uh, improv. It is uh, to, to come up with, with those types of things. Cause it, a strength role doesn't necessarily have to be straight strength. Mm-hmm. It can be you as a wizard uh, or you as an artificer or you as a a monk or something, though not necessarily physically strong came up with this cool idea to use levers and pulleys or to use, you know, momentum and, and physics to pop that thing off its hinges or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Which at that point you can use intelligence as a strength roll. Totally works that way. Uh, if you want to do just brute strength, hey, great. Maybe the Goliath loosened the lid to the pickle jar, but the gnome is the one who finally opened it up. 
yeah, after after everyone was frustrated, Gnome goes in and, hey guys, look. <laughs> As he's eating, like, <laughs> I loosened I listened it for you. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I'm stronger than the Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> and that leads to fun party moments too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I, I think I think the whole kind of summation of that is player player character. Mm-hmm. Don't play other people's characters. Get good at what your char- character can do do well, and then let the rest of the party have their own strengths that shine. Don't be a spotlight hog, but at the same time, chip in when you can. Yes, because this is this is team game. This is team game. This is not versus. This is not this is not player versus player. This is not DM versus player. It's a team sport for everyone, DMs yep. and players included. So when when you win, your party wins. And so. when they lose, well, everybody wins because it was a good tale. Yeah, and and well, and everybody will then get to try again another time mm-hmm. or or come up with a different solution. So exactly, yeah. That's uh, party roles. So again, not necessarily something that is set in stone, not necessarily something you will even ever talk about, but it can be a good thing to be aware of. Definitely. All right. Moving on to our supplemental stuff. Uh, Oh, man. Yeah. We have a new Unearthed Arcana that just came out uh, just a few days back. Uh, And this is pretty cool. This is... Um, the Folk of the Feywild Unearthed Arcana. And this is basically a playtest document for a few new races. Uh, and this gives us uh, fairies, Hobgoblin of the Feywild, mm-hmm. Owl Folk, and Rabbit Folk. It's and so are, great. <laughs> these are all really cool. And it's cool that they're using the new uh, design type because they don't actually have set ability scores. Like they, they actually basically just say when determining your character's ability scores, increase one by two and a different one by one or increase three different ones by one. And that's, that's just, that's your deal. So I, I like that they have gone now fully into the, we're not even going to provide baseline, just customize as you will, which I, I know there's some, some people that probably don't prefer that way. Um, and I'm sure if you wanted to do them as a baseline and didn't want to use that, because it is technically an optional rule mm-hmm. from Tasha's, I believe you yeah. could easily f- come up with a two and a one for each of these races. No problem as a baseline, but I, I really like their move towards you don't necessarily have to pick a specific race to not feel like you're missing out on something for a class. So I'm growing in my head a plus three in strength barbarian rabbit folk character that I am super excited to one day create. (laughs) Like just looking at this, I'm like, Oh man, big buff bunny man. Oh, this would be cool. Big buff bunny man. Yeah, there's 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 some cool stuff. Um most of them seem seem pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh the fairies are the only ones for me that feel a little lacking and I think it's because they have flight. 
And I think when you get flight, you have to, it's considered that much higher on the strength level yeah. uh, that you have to give up a lot. Cause if you look at all, all, all these other races and we'll have a link to this in, in the show notes at dndiscussions.com, um, they get, you know, they get the druid craft uh, can trip and then they get to cast fairy fire once per long rest without using a spell slot, but they can use a spell slot for it if they want, which is, that's, that's cool. Then they get, they get flight and then they get the thing, which is also kind of cool. Um, if a little specific where you can fit into tiny spaces, cause you are actually a small, uh, they are considered uh, a small classification. Mm-hmm. So it's, but if you look at it next to some of the other ones that get uh, like the, some of the, the bunny folk stuff is, is really yeah, cool. The bunny folk stuff is actually really interesting um like hair trigger you get initiative to your proficiency which is great uh which props to whoever (laughs) named it (laughs) named it like mm. yeah yeah um you can hop yeah you have rabbit hop there's some uh um extra stuff in there for uh you know jumping in there lucky footwork is pretty cool where if you fail a deck saving throw you can use your reaction to just add a d4 to it so you know, kind of makes sense. The owl folk stuff is a little interesting. Uh, dark vision, I think, is definitely uh, something any owl folk needs to have, which they do, which is pretty good. Um, I love and it's the ninety ma- feet instead yeah. of the normal sixty. Because I mean, they're an owl. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the magic sight. I think that's really cool. Um, where you can like see the presence of magic just because you're awesome. But it is still part of a ritual, so you know ritual casting but as an owl folk to be able to have that because of the different perceptions that they have i think that's a really cool addition considering that you know they're they're humanoid but they're from the fey wild and they see stuff yeah i think i think that's super cool i think it's it's one of the things that is is interesting about this that previously you don't see much of there are a few races that are classified as small but not many they're Mm -hmm very limited selection and so most of these uh you can be small or medium yeah so that's that's kind of an interesting way to to play around with with character sizing and then mechanically some of the things you can do versus what you can't do if you're if you're small versus medium yeah and i like that i i love the fact that uh you get a little bit more customization in your customization because of that it's pretty good yeah, overall, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. There's there's a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that I would like to see. So uh, I love this about the fairy. So the fairy has fey characteristics that you can either pick from or roll a d8 from mm-hmm. uh, for that are just like uh, a noticeable harmless chill surrounds you. You smell like fresh brownies. Your hands never look dirty. <laughs> you know, you have a small spectral horn on your forehead, like a little unicorn horn, just all these <laughs> different things. I would love to see that same sort of table for each of these Feywild wild races. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm with Where's you. my jackalope antlers for mm-hmm. the, for the rabbit folk, right? Like antlers on or just on, red beady eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I would love a little D eight table for all the, the Feywild races because we're talking Feywild. It's 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 chaotic. It's magical. Mm-hmm. It's otherworldly. So why not have a little extra that you can do if you want for all these these different races that 
kind of separate them a little more from from the norm or give them a little more personality yeah especially with the owl folk i mean think about all the different types of owls that are out there that they can kind of you know uh, base stuff on um oh do, do they automatically have advantage on perception checks i'm looking at this and i'm not seeing that because they should. The way the, my <laughs> thinking on that is an owl can turn its head pretty much 360 degrees. Regular owls, I believe, have either oh, I got to look now. Your advantage, yeah, yeah. Look at the like the regular owl or giant owl. Uh, oh, I think no, they'll items. either have proficiency or or advantage on. Thing. There's so many different ones that my brain gets gets full sometimes. Let's see. But it is, it is a really, really interesting. Yeah, advantage on perception checks that rely yep. on hearing or sight. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, like, if you're in uh, my game, you're going to get that yeah. if you're an owlkin. <laughs> yeah. You should. Yeah, and Hobgoblin, I love the little fey gift. You can use this trait to take the help yeah. action as a bonus action. And you can do so, uh, the amount of titans equal to your proficiency bonus. Uh, and at third level, you can choose an extra additional option for the help action um hospitality passage spite like you can help your target gain temporary hit points you can help your target move more mm-hmm. you can help your target uh have uh the creature have disadvantage on the next attack roll against them. so like really cool different uh, like and there is a hobgoblin race already but this is like the Feywild specific brand. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's where like another D8 table would differentiate them a little more. Yeah, so. definitely. Overall, I think a pretty cool UA though. It's it's pretty neat, and uh, you know, I I, I might be uh, jumping a little ahead here, but I really think that it's hopefully going to come from a Feywild. Uh, that's that source book. Really, my hope, uh, which I really want because <laughs> I think it would be absolutely excellent for mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff in my campaigns. Uh, and some of the stuff in the the campaigns I'm playing in, specifically the the evil campaign I'm playing in, because my character is a satyr from the Feywild. So it'd be really cool to get more background on that and more information on that. Uh, and I think a Feywild like Feywild campaign guide supplement would be super awesome and we could Definitely. get some really awesome new creatures, new monsters uh, and creatures inside a, a Feywild supplement and get all I yeah yes give me Feywild yeah. supplement Wizard. let's uh let's do it that's it that's what it is we're calling it now we, we've <laughs> Call called it, it. <laughs> Call it now yes um also I think that they are now available on D&D Beyond to play around yes with. I believe so I'm gonna make it they usually now. they usually put uh UA stuff in fairly quickly uh so if you use D and D beyond a lot, it should be, should be on there. Rabbit folk. Yep. There we go. Yep, there we go. I'm going to make uh, Arnold Schwarzenhopper. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, so while Ben is making Arnold Schwarzenhopper, <laughs> <Don't mind> uh, <laughs> before, before we kind of close up shop for the night, uh, one other thing I wanted to point out in our community content is pixels. And you yes. may have heard about this before. Uh, it's raised like $2.7 million on Kickstarter. There's uh, uh, about a little over two weeks left, about 18 days to go. Um, 
And so this is a light up dice or uh, multiple light up dice, full sets of light up dice. Um, and this is really cool because not only do the dice light up, there will be an app that goes along with them where you can customize them to different colors or to do different things if certain numbers are rolled. They may have integration into things like Roll20 or Foundry or potentially even D&D Beyond. I know they mentioned trying to, to talk to them about this uh, with oh, APIs cool. and, and whatever. So uh, they look amazing. They charge wirelessly and each one you get comes with a little charging case or if you get a full set um, it's like a uh, charging brick that uh, has multiple charges for the dice. Um, and apparently they can last, you know, five or six hours on a single charge of just being fairly c consistently rolled. So uh, really, really cool. Uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. But uh, if you're interested in sh like li literally shiny math rocks, <laughs> literally shiny math rocks then you should check that out i believe it's they're, they're not i will say they are not the cheapest thing in the world um they are full of technology and with that comes comes price i believe uh you can pick any one individual die uh through the whole spectrum d20 you know 12 8 10 percentile d64 whatever um, you can pick any individual one for, for 39 bucks um, and it comes with a, its own charging case or you can buy a full set for $199 that comes with the big case. Yeah, I backed it for just the one die because I, I, I don't need a full uh, full set. Like, It'd be as cool. cool as it is, I, it's I a little, that's a little it. rich for my blood. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of yeah. where it comes down, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I backed for a D20. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I bet I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a D twenty because I think that's super cool and I, I love the concept. Um but not not two hundred dollars love the concept. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and one of the neat things about it too is the fact that uh for their D sixes they're doing the you know the numer uh, numerals the as pip, well as the, the pips. pip dice. Yeah. yeah. But you don't see a lot of pips, which I mm -hmm. think that's really cool. I mean personally I like the numerals because uh, I don't want to try to count as well as add, but yeah, you know, we'll see what happens with but that. Yeah, for certain <laughs> for certain game types, and they they're they're selling them in a lot. The they're selling the full big sets in a lot of different configurations too. Mm -hmm. So chances are they'll they'll have one that you want if you want to go in on a on a full set. If I had the money, I would because they're yeah. really cool and shiny. Uh, but I definitely wanted to at least get a D twenty because. That's the thing I roll the most. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the thing is, it's it, it's just pretty. They're really cool. Definitely check it out. Um, again, you know, we, we talk a lot about different things on Kickstarter. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. But uh, this is one that's uh, kind of hit us both in a, uh, well, in our wallets. Let's just say that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to about uh, do it for the main portion of our show. But before we go, of course as we normally do, let's check in and see what's going on in our games. So Ben, why don't you, you start us off and tell us what's going on in your, your game. Oh man, stuff is going on and I'm so excited about this. <laughs> um, 
there's there's a lot that happened in, in our last session and a lot of it was travel that i pushed us through as fast as i could to get to a stopping point that i really wanted to hit and in fact we played an extra hour just to get to that point <laughs> um okay so here's the thing uh the you know the big bad evil thing happens then you know we had a, a the the month of downtime then we had the fair and uh, now the group is heading towards a town called trademore to uh you know meet up in uh with with everybody from around the continent for a big trade summit the the very first one that's ever happened uh and it, it happens in two months so i give i'm giving them plenty of time to get there so, you know, they traveled a bit. Then they, they got out of the Sage Coast, which is, you know, the, the place where the first uh, arc has taken place. The entire arc's taking place in that region. And we're, they're moving up into a place called the Everwilds, which I, I don't know if I ever actually um, posted the, the continent map that I did on DN Discussions, but uh, I'm, I might have to do that. Um, anyway, so they're moving up into the Everwilds. And there's rumors of, you know, just really big bad things in the Everwilds. It's, you know, it's a, it's an untamed land. Um, the thing is though, there's, there's one town in the Everwilds. It's kind of like the stop off the, the, the last place from the Sage coast before they get into like the, the thick of it until they get out. And this was a place called Briar's Bluff, which two of my players had been through before, um, you know, coming down South through, except this is the first time where most of them were kind of going up through. So they get there and this town is pristine. Uh, everything is, you know, beautiful. The, the, the buildings look freshly painted, you know, nothing's fallen apart. And, you know, this is this town that's in the middle of this horrible, you know, very dangerous place, but you know, everything's great. Um, but there's some weird things going on here. Like, they have a lot of buildings that are just empty. You know, no one lives there. Uh, in fact, there's, there's a big mayor mansion that doesn't have anybody living there. There's never been a mayor in this town. So, you know, it's kind of weird. Um, so as they're kind of going through, they had an, an instance where, um, you know, they were, uh, you know, kind of just uh, figuring out rooms. Uh, when they went to talk to the innkeeper, uh, his wife was really upset because they have 10 rooms, but four of them are still locked and they don't know where the keys are. Uh, but they wanted to rent out all 10 rooms. But since they don't have anybody there, she went up and just kicked down the doors to the four rooms and, you know, uh, rented out the whole place to this caravan so that they, you know, can get some money and stuff. Um, while that was happening, one of my party members was outside kind of tending to the horses and she saw this woman walking down the street trip and then all of a sudden kind of look around like something was going on, had this look of horror on her face. And then like almost instantly just snapped back to everything's fine. Stood up, dusted themselves off and started walking away, whistling. Everything's great. Um, so something, something real weird is going on. In fact, the two people who had been through there before places just the same as it was before, you know, obviously it's safe. They made their way through. So they weren't really totally sure what was going on. So, you know, dinner happens. Um, oh, in fact, uh, one of the players who's been through there before ran into somebody that they knew from before. So, you know, everything's great. Everything's fine. So they went to go have dinner. Uh, in fact, 
the, <laughs> the, the, the party insisted that they cook the meal. So they actually made a big, big meal for, you know, the whole caravan as well as the, um, you know, the owners of the, of the inn, the, the, the man and woman who owned it. They go to bed. And then when they woke up, here's where the weird thing happened. So there were three people in this room, but there were four packs. There's actually a small suit of armor in there as well. And they have no idea where it's from. So they went ahead and, you know, kind of started going through this pack and there's a journal in there that it's by someone named, uh, shoot, what is her name? Because I know this because I came prepared to tell this story. Um, uh, her name's Gilly Underfoot. Now it's weird because that's the same name that, uh, or Gilly is the same name that they had for the, these uh, necklaces that they've been wearing that during their adventures would kind of periodically heal them, but their necklaces are gone. And as they open up this journal, it's this talk of someone who's been adventuring with them this entire time that they have no memory of. Like talking about very, you know, like, oh, I had this, this, this intimate conversation with so-and-so talking about this and what this was going on and, and like detailing the fights that they've been in together. And, and uh, she's talking about how it's like, oh, you know, I, I was really tapped out by the time we got there. And, and even talking about how at the fair, she had won one of the prizes along with everybody and how it's sitting on her bed at the house that they all share together. And they don't up, have any idea who this person is. No, no idea. So uh, we ended the session there. Wow, what a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now there might be some listeners who know what it is. Please don't mention it, what it is on Twitter uh, because, you know, I, I do have players who listen, so I'd appreciate that. But um, we're not playing again for a couple weeks because I'm, I'm going to be on vacation and uh, spending a lot of time prepping stuff for the second arc that we're going through. So I'm just gonna gonna let that hang for a bit. Oh, man, I'm excited excited for the so reveal. So excited! I mean, you and I have talked about this for probably long over a year. Long time. You've had seeds of this for for quite yeah. quite some time. It's always <laughs> fun to see see those little things come to fruition. Yeah. Um, oh, and one thing before they left, I totally forgot to mention is uh, our paladin had an interesting dream too. Um, unrelated to this, but she had a dream where uh, she kind of, you know, was awoken by this deep booming voice and had a vision of this just beautiful uh, sword sticking out of a gold pile. Um, it was, a, it had a platinum hilt with like filigree of um, like, you know, gold, bronze, silver, copper, just kind of just all over it and everything. And she heard a voice just say, you know, find it and prove yourself and you're my champion. So who knows what's going on with that? Don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm, Super looking forward to <laughs> what's going to be happening next. And uh, even more so, the players were like, what? At the end of, of our last session. So uh, that's always, that's always the best feeling. 
Yeah. I, ah! I mean, I have just, just to let you know how long I've been working on this. I have a seven page Google doc that has all of these journal entries in it wow. that have been from over. Did you, did you just send it to them? Yeah. Like, I just, this is what I just you put found? the link in the discord said, this is what you found. And then left it at that. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Love yeah. It. I mean, this is one of those times where I really wish that we played in person so I could just like be all like, yeah, that would certainly be find. me handing them something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But uh, what about you? I know there's been a ton of stuff going on with your games. Yes. While while you are ramping up your second arc, mine is ramping to its its climax right oh, now. Yes. Um it, I, I told you about the, the temple fights and them mm-hmm. breaching into the temple. Uh, and we finally were able to play that. Uh, they found uh, two of the enemies and I'm, I'm actually using uh, kind of facsimiles of uh, Kroll and Torgar. Okay. Uh, okay. Joe Meganello's characters um, because one, I love their looks like snapping turtle. You just can't get better than that. Um, but in my world, they are demons. So they're, they're actual demons instead of, you know, whatever they are in, mm-hmm. in the Avernus, uh, Avernus stuff. And so uh, Kroll is holding this shield around this giant statue with some cultists inside, which are performing a ritual against it. Um, and then Father Mustafas, which is like this basically head of this church of Foltis uh, gone bad essentially. And he's, he is the one that kill had my cleric's parents killed because they found out what he was doing. So this was very personal for him. So they're already kind of hurt, kind of, kind (laughs) of on the, on the ropes a bit (laughs) from the, from the initial confrontation, but they killed, killed the necromancer whose body is just melting in a pile over, over to the side from Melf's acid arrow. Uh, And then they, they engage and they, they just start, start attacking. And it's, um, it basically becomes, they, they quickly figure out uh, this is a time limit. There's there, this is a timed, a timed. Okay, good. Um, so they they started figuring out that oh we need to interrupt Kroll somehow to get that shield down mm-hmm. because those i because every round and and in the retrospect that this was a three round three round fight and at the end of third round if there was still a cultist up they would basically shatter this this statue and whatever magical properties that it held and whatever good stuff they don't know whatever good stuff uh it's it's still allowing or whatever stuff it's preventing or whatnot um so they they just started they started trying to pummel him but they had to deal with father mustafa who's a high level cleric and toragar who is a high level BA Minotaur. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> kill you. Because Kroll and Torgar both had legendary actions. Oh. Both had legendary resistances. So it turned into like almost an attrition game where it's like we just need to hit Kroll as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And it, it turned out that the NPC, one of the NPCs with them, uh, he didn't have the 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 mage that it got sent. Uh the dragon um went and basically tried to help keep Torgar busy. 
mm-hmm. while the mage who is almost out of spell slots, but he had a bunch of ones. So I was just like, Oh, he's going to magic missile. Crawl. There you go. And each of those is an individual hit, which means each of those is an individual concentration. concentration. Yeah. Oh, so that's smart. He actually helped a lot. Um, he, he ended up burning cause it was only like, you know, 10, 10 con saves. Yeah. Because, but all you need to do is well, roll that once. Yeah. Because he had a, he had a plus plus five. And so he basically needed to roll a four or lower. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen super often, but they slowly burned away at his legendary resistances for the concentration. Yeah, that, that's about what? 20%, a 20% chance. That's not too yeah. bad. And so it, 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 it's, it slowly worked. And so, uh, the um the ranger ended up misty stepping he and i and i will say my ranger my ranger rolled six natural 20s (laughs) it was absolutely bonkers and then he he said i'm going to try and misty step into the shielded area and i was like okay i'll give you a chance uh you basically, he had a 25% chance to magically push through the barrier mm-hmm. to get on the other side. And so I had him roll percentile to do it. And I had done this for um, the other shielding in the first phase of the battle. Oh, he yeah. looks at me and he says, what does it mean when you get all zeros? And I was like, <laughs> I have to do so much. Not only six natural 20s, but also 100 on the percentile. So he got in ended up killing one of them. They got Kroll's concentration down, and this was in round three. So as soon as the, that round ended, that's when the ritual would have completed. Oh, man. Um, so they got the shield down, and literally my monk fighter had just enough movement. And these are little cultists. These are nine HP. Like these, these are... Oh, yeah. Yeah, these are the expendable goons. Um, was able to end up going to the second one, to the third one, to the fourth one in one round. Just pop, pop, pop. (laughs) And took them all. He he blew as much stuff as he could to be able to get around, just enough movement to get around, and ended up killing the last one just two or three away from that that round ending. Oh, that's fantastic. So it was was – by just in the nick of time it is so so cool like you could not have planned a better story just in how all it worked out unfortunately while this was going on Torgar uh perma killed our barbarian oh no and they ended up retreating to Torgar and Kroll ended up retreating to another area the head priest Father Mustafa, they had a nice little dialogue kind of during the, the cleric's turn once or twice. And again, that combat RP. Uh, yeah. If only there was an episode on that. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so they ended up having a nice little dialogue back and forth. And uh, then they were able to basically knock him down before he could make it to the portal that Kroll had summoned. So Kroll nice. him got a way to do something. Something's going on. Um, but they were able to get Mustafa's down. And since he was a big guy, I had him roll death saves. Um, 
and but he was and ended up un, unconscious and the uh the cleric ended up healing him just a little bit to talk to him and get information from him and then ended up just burning him like burning him up with burning hands uh that's so killing cool him, killing him completely completing his revenge so that was super cool how it all worked out um they've got maybe a little bit of of, of respite before they move on to whatever is going on the large shield now that was over the floating portion of the city is down and they have to figure out how they're going to heck they're going to get up there. How's the battle <laughs> that is raging outside with the army sent from Elathar is going there's just, oh, there's just so much going on, but they, they managed to keep the temple intact. Uh, they managed to stop the ritual barely in the nick of time. Um, and it, cause the, the temple would have collapsed otherwise and we would have gone into a completely different, you know, scenario yeah. if that had happened, but it didn't. And so super cool. Uh, but the barbarian went down and our, our artificer ended up grabbing the artifact horn of the four Kings that he had gotten way back in the, the Dwarven tombs only used it once during the giant battle at the, the, in, inside the mountain and he blew it. And this white dwarven ghost descended and fully revived the barbarian. Oh, that's awesome. Pushing, pushing the symbol of cord into his chest and it became a tattoo permanently on his chest, came back, his hair was all turned white. And <laughs> yeah, just super, super cinematic, super cool how it worked out. Use one of their one of the four charges. Like as soon as those four charges are gone, the horn turns to dust. It's like the trump card, basically, mm-hmm. of of items in some ways. Like, how long do I want to save it? When do I want to use it? Type thing. And so uh, it was a it was really good. It was a That's really awesome. good session. Uh, I was I was very happy with the balance of the fight and how everything ended up and and how it worked out and the cleric being able to get the revenge on uh on that high priest guy who had his parents murdered because they found out he was doing evil stuff so it was it was really good it was really good and That's then my cool. second campaign is about to do a heist which i'm so <laughs> pumped for so pumped for more information on that that one later uh when Perfect. it happens they did some recon and stuff they they kind of got the uh what what they were shooting for and they ended up going the uh get us invites to the party and we'll try to infiltrate from within maybe with a few less tools versus trying to break in and go so mm-hmm. i'm excited i have no idea what's gonna happen so many things <laughs> could go wrong or right who knows but i think it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one so that's very cool i'm looking forward to hearing about that yeah that'll be a lot of fun but I think uh, I think we're we're over time. No, we're not. We don't have a time limit no. on the show. We just kind of go. We have until fun we, on this show. <laughs> and yeah, until we're until we're done. But we have reached the end of our talking points. So Ben, why don't you tell everyone how we can be reached? All right. Well, if you're looking to contact the show because you think, well, golly gee, these are some really cool stories. I want to share mine. You have two ways to do that. Um, you can always email us 
dndiscussions at gmail.com. It's good. It's really good for long form communication. Let's us know uh, that you're listening, that you want to share because uh, we love hearing from everybody. And uh, even more so, we love hearing from you specifically. That's right. You, if you think I'm talking to you, you're right. Uh, if you have something a little bit more short form that you want to, you know, toss at us on Twitter, you can always uh, send a, or tag us in a tweet at DN Discussions. Uh, Ryan and I both have access actually to the email and to the Twitter, so we do see everything. So uh, you know, send it our way, and we do appreciate those that do tweet at us and uh, tell us our story or tell us your stories. It's pretty cool. I really enjoy it. Um, if for some reason you're like, hey, I have something I want to tell Ryan specifically. Maybe it's about a heist that you did or something along those lines. Make sure to tag him on Twitter. He is at TBKZord. And if uh, you want to talk to me and want to know what's going on in my campaign, because you can't wait till the next episode, um, well, maybe I'll DM you because, again, a lot of my party follows me on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, that is at Ben Baumhofer. So definitely check that out. Um, if you're you know sitting here listening to this episode and you think gosh these guys talk a good game i wonder if they play a good game well guess what you can actually find out yourself by listening to plus five to hit it is a persistent campaign that we are in uh currently we're playing through rhyme of the frost maiden and boy howdy stuff went weird on uh the next episode that's gonna be coming out (laughs) there's like there's a whole lot that could have happened. There's a lot of things that I probably could have done a lot better, but you know what? This is why D&D exists. Your failures are also your successes because you know what? We all had a lot of fun. So definitely check that out at plus five to hit. Uh, now this show, DN Discussions, you can find us on dndiscussions.com as well as on uh, you know iTunes, Google, and pretty much anywhere that you're looking for us uh, or however you're listening to us right now, we'll be there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, we will see you next time. And until then, be good to each other.